Hey everyone, and welcome back to I Just Blank. Now what? The podcast. It's Jessica here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another Now What Wednesday. Today on the show, I have an awesome guest. Not that all my guests aren't awesome. I do truly love each and every single one of them. But I was extra excited to connect with Christina um, and have her come on the show and share her story um, about a near-death experience that she had as she's battled some really serious life-threatening health challenges for most of her life. We connected on Instagram and social media like I do with so many amazing people and her story really impacted me because it has a lot to do with women's health. We recorded this not too long ago and originally it was going to air a little bit later on but then I found out that March is Endometriosis Awareness Month and so I made the call to pull her episode forward and share it with you guys right now because um, her story really revolves around her uh, diagnosis with endometriosis and how that's impacted her life in some serious ways. So um, take a listen. If you know somebody with endometriosis, um, definitely share this episode with them. Hopefully they obviously are getting you know, support and, and help that they need as they, you know, figure out their own health journey with this lifelong <laughs> disorder that does not have a cure, um, but is something that people have to live with on the regular. So a little bit about Christina. She is a content creator, public speaker, and an endometriosis advocate. She became an entrepreneur, editor-in-chief, and consultant after launching her first business, Femevolve, as a media platform and magazine, and later a business and events consulting agency working on small and large-scale event sponsorship. She's a professional public speaker, sharing on stages of hundreds of guests on health, personal development, mindset, entrepreneurship, and more. Christina was previously the organizer of Toronto Professional Women's Meetup, a community that she increased by thousands of professional women throughout Toronto. Christina holds a Bachelor of Science in Medical Physics and previously worked in healthcare, neurology, and breast cancer research, along with jobs in sales, advertising, customer service, and so much more. So without further ado, we're going to jump in and hear Christina's story and her now what? Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank, now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was gonna do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own, I just blank, now what stories, so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Okay, well, hello, Christina. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show with me today. I know you and I have tried to connect, you know, a few times, but 
life keeps happening and we've had to like reschedule this a bunch of times. So I'm so glad we were able to connect today. Finally. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to be here after talking about this so many times, (laughs) we can finally sit down and and record this together. We're social media friends, right? Like we were introduced through some platform, some community group, and then, you know, connect (laughs) there, follow each other. And so I just love how like online friendships bloom into something more. And now, you know, having you on the show is just a huge honor because I know you've done lots of work, you know, the women's health and advocating space. So, so excited to have you on the show today. I'm not really going to say much anymore because I really want us to let you have the stage. You're going to be sharing a really big story with us today. And it's, I just survived a near-death experience. Now what story? This is huge. Well, first off, so grateful that you're alive and you survived, but there is probably so much to this story that you want to unpack for us. So I'm just going to shut up. I'm going to let you take us back to, to this, a little bit of background and share what happened. Yes, there is a lot um, around that topic. And it was a few smaller near-death experiences that kind of catapulted into one And from that one experience, I would say my entire life changed. And I mean, of course, your life would change up or something like that. But it really put into perspective how far I was from living the life that I said I wanted and how I really wasn't taking action. So just to give some background on um, what that experience was and all these health issues that came about. So I've been sick since I was about eight years old. So I noticed that I was getting these stomach pains. I was always going to the nurse's office at school, rolling around in pain, missing gym class, that sort of thing. That went on for a few years until the age of 11, where I was diagnosed with a fractured hip. I went to the doctor and I said, well, you know, I'm only 11. So I'm thinking, how did I get a fractured hip? I didn't fall down. Like I didn't hurt myself playing. Where did this come from? He said, I have no idea. Maybe you fell down and you don't remember. And I told my mom and dad, I said, if I fell down and I fractured my hip, I should remember that it would have been very painful, right? (laughs) So it was on my right side, that pain, and it was really severe. And that's what he told me. So he said, you need to take time off of school. You need to rest. So I missed part of my grade five graduation. I was in tears. I didn't know that was going to be the start of missing a lot of big life events and weddings and birthdays and all that stuff. I just thought this is it. The hip will heal and and I'll move on. Um, Ended up turning out a few weeks later, I go back to the doctor and he told me that the radiologist made a mistake. There was no fractured hip. It looked like a hairline fracture, but I was perfectly fine and that I should just resume normal life. So I said, okay, I'm going to go back to normal life, but the pain is still there. A year later, I got my first period And that was when all hell broke loose (laughs) because that was pain like I've never experienced before. My mom didn't know what was going on with me because she didn't have exceptionally painful periods in that way, right? They were normal. She would just take Tylenol, Advil, go about her daily life. But I was on the floor crying, missing school again. This is 12 years old. What grade is that? That was in grade, I think grade seven for me. Six or seven? Okay. I think it was grade seven. Yeah. And I was having exceptionally painful periods, painful and heavy. So I was bleeding all all the time. I didn't know how to control it. Um, I knew something was wrong, but because the other girls around me weren't going through that, I thought, well, maybe mine are just more painful and maybe it'll get better when I get older. As I got older, the pain started getting worse and worse to the point that I was 18 and I had something called a ruptured ovarian cyst. So that's like a fluid filled sac. 
and it ruptured and there was some uh, blood and some toxic fluid that kind of came out of that. And when I went to the ER, they told me that's not normal. You shouldn't be having ovarian cysts that rupture. I mean, many women get ovarian cysts, but they shouldn't be rupturing. At that age too, this is something that would develop as a more mature woman, but not as a teen. Right. You wouldn't think so. After that, I go to the gynecologist. We go back and forth. He tells me that he thinks I have this thing called endometriosis. He drew out a diagram of a reproductive system and he starts showing me how it can grow. Um, essentially what it is, it's a chronic condition where tissue that's similar, but not the same as the lining of the uterus, it deposits and grows in other areas of the body. So at that time at 18, I was experiencing pain um, in my, like the entire reproductive area. So the entire stomach, my low back, my hip, my thighs, that was where my pain was at that time. I had the surgery and I got relief for about six months. And I was told that it was just mild when they found it. So they, they just took it out. Um, they lasered it off and I would be fine. Everything would just resolve itself. So I believe that, of course, you believe your doctor. <laughs> and I'm going about my university life. And, and also, I was missing a lot of school at that time. So I was bedridden for three weeks every month. And that's most of the month at that time. And, and that all around your cycle. Yeah. So the week before, the week during, and the week after, I was bedridden. And I had one good week a month where I would try to catch up on my schoolwork. I refused to drop out of school, which was not smart because I would go there even in pain to do just my labs and my tests. It's funny. I ended up studying to be a radiologist. That's what I wanted to do because of what happened at 11 years old. I said, that inspired you to be a radiologist so I can like get it right and not tell people exactly. that they're broken when they're not. Exactly. I wanted to help people. I started a program called medical physics at Ryerson in university. I'm sorry, in Toronto. At that point I was still in pain, still bedridden, not really knowing what was going on with my body. I started seeking out alternative uh, sort of practitioners. So I was going to a nutritionist. I got a trainer, um, going to yoga, mindfulness, learning everything I could about how my body worked and, and how to meditate and really calm myself down when I was going through those flare-ups because the pain was really bad. Um, they say it could be worse than childbirth. And I honestly think given the way I was screaming and rolling around and throwing up all of that. It, it was very, very extreme. On a of course, scale like, of like one to 10, your pain was like an 11. Oh my God. Like a 25. <laughs> like, yeah. I know. It's so hard when you go to the ER and you tell them that they're like, that's not helpful. You need to, I'm like, it's worse than a 10. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was bedridden, uh, going back and forth until I finally came across a therapy called low level laser therapy, which is where they use a band of laser lights. The light actually helps the body to fight off the inflammation. It helps to kind of calm down the scar tissue that's forming in the body. So I got relief, but still wasn't a cure. Fast forward a little bit longer. Cause I started that, I think at the beginning of 2016 and then towards the end of 2016 is when my health started declining even more. So, um, I developed, another ovarian cyst that ruptured. This time it was the size of a grapefruit. I ended up telling my dad because I was still living at home at that time. I was young, maybe 20, 21. I told my dad, I said, dad, don't take me to the hospital down the street. Take me to the one in Toronto, which was almost a 40 minute drive. He said, why? Like it's an emergency. I said, because if you take me to the one down the street, they're not going to listen to me. And I feel like I'm going to die tonight. 
I told him that, like, I believed that I was going to die because the bleeding and the pain was so bad. Nothing like I had experienced before. So he took me to the hospital, drove me there, 40 minutes of just going over bumps in the road and all that. Yeah, pain, right? It was so bad. And they brought the ultrasound to me. Like they had a mobile one that they brought into the room because they couldn't even move me. They saw how much pain I was in. And the doctor said, you know, if we didn't come in time, Tonight, you probably would have died because you're so tiny. I, I was very, very skinny, skinnier than I am now. Um, because of my health, I wasn't eating very much. I was just throwing up all the time. Um, she said you wouldn't have survived because there's so much blood and toxic fluid that came out of that cyst. And then she also told me the cyst was pushing on your left kidney. So keep an eye on your kidney if there's any issues. I go home again, you know, saying, hey, the doctor knows what she's talking about. Everything will be fine. But I kept in mind the kidney thing. And then, of course, I end up in the ER a few days later with kidney pain, bladder issues. And that started, just to keep the story short, that started a series of infections, kidney infections. And I had over 25 kidney infections. Every month I was getting one with my period. They were coming and they were really awful, really uncomfortable, back pain, all that stuff. It turned into one, I can't remember, I think it was October of that year when this happened. Yeah, it was either October or November, but I think it was October because that's when I started my business that um, one day got really bad. I called the ambulance and I told them that it felt like someone was hammering on my back and I couldn't walk. And then when I went to the ER that day, I met up with the doctor and he told me that it was septic shock. So he said, your organs are actually shutting down because the infection is starting to make its way into your bloodstream. And why do you think that happened is because I had taken so many rounds of antibiotics that I was just becoming resistant, right? That moment, I, I feel like I woke up. I took a pause and I said, whoa, I've just been cycling through these health issues for all these years since 2014 when it really got bad. But since the age of eight, I've just been dealing with it. I can't keep dealing with it anymore. Like this is bad. Your quality of life is zero at this so, point. Yeah, it was so bad. I cried so bad that night. I remember my parents weren't with me at the start because they were used to this, like these kidney infections, right? So they dropped me off and they said, we'll come back in a couple hours and pick you up because they were also losing sleep over this and everything, right? So of course they were so supportive, but I also told them, go home. I'll be fine. Like, I know I took the ambulance, but it's probably nothing too extreme. I had no idea it was septic shock. And I had to call them and tell them, yeah, the doctor said I might not make it tonight. So you might want to come back with some of my stuff <laughs> they were like oh my god they were crying and holding my hand and I slept through that entire night well I actually didn't sleep but I tried to sleep and I, I just laid awake thinking in my bed the entire night if I was to die tonight what would I have wanted to change about my life and I thought about so many things like the fact that I really wasn't making time for my friends because my health was so bad. The fact that I was in a very toxic relationship and I was, I was accepting poor treatment from someone when I knew I was worth so much more. The fact that I wanted to move back close to home because I was like spending a lot of time in Toronto at my aunt's house and I wasn't always with my parents. And I said, wow, you know, I, I haven't had that much time with my parents since university started. But the fact that I wanted to start a platform for women to share their stories and have their voices be heard and not be silenced like I was being silenced all those years and I never did it because I just kept telling myself, oh, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it someday. That was the moment that I stopped and I said, there is no more tomorrows. There's no more Sundays. Like today is the day. I know it's hard. I know you're going through a lot, but you need to get all your stuff together and you need to put your head down and get to work on this idea. Yeah, this could have been your last day. 
Exactly. And how sad would it have been if that was my last day and I never got to do any of the things that I wanted to do, which was, you know, get into public speaking, share my story, create awareness, all these things that I knew I wanted. I kept saying someday it'll happen. Oh, someday when I have X amount of dollars or when I'm feeling better. Yes, exactly. And I didn't really think like this is a chronic illness. Of course, it can get better, but I'm going to have to manage it throughout my life. Waiting for that, you know, end goal is, it doesn't really make sense. And that's when I started the platform FemEvolve, which I've kind of put on pause now because of my health, but FemEvolve was essentially before all this recently, it was a magazine and a digital platform where we shared women's stories talking about their everyday struggles. So not just health, but it did have a health focus too. But we took science-based information and made it really attainable and understandable to someone who doesn't have a science background. And that was great. It was a really great experience for me to just get into a new field and see that I could create my own business. I can work with a team and uh, hire people and really see like my vision come to life. FemEvolve essentially branched out into a whole bunch of other ideas after that, but that's the gist of it. That's kind of what happened. The endometriosis turned into the cysts, which turned into infections and then septic shock. Wow. It's so interesting to me as a woman, and I pretty much know that I'm speaking for many out there who have broad strokes awareness of our bodies and and our health not until something happens that when then we're kind of forced to like dig deeper and figure out more because I will be very like I had heard of endometriosis maybe in my like earlier 20s 30s but I actually didn't really know much about it until I showed up at a fertility clinic going through my own you know (laughs) reproductive health stuff in the waiting room and you're talking to other people and there's like two camps of women in there. And (laughs) those of us who, you know, we all have fertility issues. So, you know, that's the common thing, but there was kind of like two camps, the camp of, Oh, what, what's your stuff. And like one group of us was like, Oh, PCOS, right. Polycystic. And then the other group was like, Oh, endometriosis, you know, endo. And so there was kind of like these two camps and that was kind of like, I'm like, all right. So it's definitely a, reproductive thing, right? And the little I knew was very painful and whatnot, but I didn't really know much more about it outside of that until you and I had a conversation and you're starting to tell me your story and you're like, yes. And then I found out that I had endometriosis in other parts of my body. So that was like a huge shock to me, like understanding that it's there in the uterus and in your reproductive, but it can actually spread to other parts. Was that what was attacking your liver? Um, The biggest misconception is that it's in the uterus, right? That's what everyone thinks. Oh yeah, yeah. It's in the uterus. It's reproductive. There is a reproductive component, but endometriosis exists entirely outside of the uterus. And that's where the confusion comes from for people, right? Because you're, the, the name of it and all that endometrial tissue, endometrium, it's very confusing, but it's solely outside of the uterus. And then there's another kind of endometriosis, which is called extra pelvic. So that's where it's occurring outside of the pelvis. In my case, I did have the, the bladder and the bowels, which I, I think I might've mentioned to you, which I found out in London, UK, and I had it removed from there. My liver was okay. My appendix, pancreas, all those were okay, but my pouch of douglas which is the it's like the one part that joins the vaginal area and the rectum it's like the space in between that was completely damaged and then in the bowels it was just starting to infiltrate my bowels so it was starting to destroy it so i had a minor part of the surgery done there but thankfully i didn't need a major surgery and my bladder my bladder was so severely damaged that's why i was having the kidney infections 
I didn't even know that the nerves were being covered by the tissue. And that's why I was constantly experiencing like, you know, going to the bathroom frequently or having other like bladder type of symptoms. In 2016, when all the near death stuff happened, I had started experiencing another symptom, which was shortness of breath. And that shortness of breath literally became me not being able to run anymore. So I had to give up on running because I was constantly out of breath. If I walked up the stairs, I would realize like, I have to like bend over, <laughs> try to catch my breath. Yeah. And I said, I'm not 80, 90 years old. Why do I feel like this at my age? And I knew something was wrong. And I saw other doctors, uh, respirologists and that sort of thing. I did multiple tests for asthma. They couldn't really figure out what was going on. They just gave me a puffer and said, maybe you have anxiety. Maybe you have asthma. We don't know. I didn't want to give up on finding out. And then that's when I flew to England recently for my second surgery. And I found out that I had it pretty extensively in my diaphragm and on my left lung. And I also lost a part of my lung and my diaphragm to the disease. Wow. Let's just take a minute to take that in. Yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> yes. What you may have thought endometrius was, or, you know, was contained in as, you know, a reproductive thing. This yeah. is something that can take over your whole body. Whole body. Yes. Every organ in the body has been affected for some people. Right. So you've talked a little bit about surgeries. Let's catch the listeners up. Obviously you've been in Canada. You've been seeing Canadian doctors, probably more than a hundred at this point since the age of <laughs> many, right? Like you, you've, you, you've worked the healthcare system yes. here. What took you to London? When those kidney infections were happening, Again, with endometriosis, because it impacts a lot of the body, right? Many different parts of your body start to act up. And one of the things that came up for me on top of the infections and the cysts and all these other things that were happening was I was experiencing issues with my left breast. I was having symptoms that we thought could be breast cancer. And at that point, I was only... 24, like really, really young to be, you know, worrying about that. And I had a mammogram. Uh, everything was clear. Thankfully, it was just some harmless cysts that were growing, nothing to worry about. That experience, after going through all the kidney infections and, and being passed around from doctor to doctor, I was just walking home one day and I remember it was raining. It was like the perfect movie scene of like sadness because I started crying and it started raining. And I was like, I'm so over the healthcare system here because I've been passed around from so many doctors. I've been told that there's nothing more I can do to help you. And then I even got misdiagnosed with something called a UPJ obstruction, which is a bladder obstruction. And because of that misdiagnosis, every time my doctor or my therapist would help me reach out or do a referral to a Canadian endometriosis specialist, we were told, oh no, we can't help her because it's too complex. It's out of our scope. It's out of what we do. Or I can help her, but my wait list is two to three years. And I had to say to myself, yeah, can you wait two to three more years like this? Because I, I really told my family and my family told me too. They said, you're dying every day in front of us. Every day we look at you, you're living less and less. And I, I was like, if I don't go now, I'm scared that I might die because it's gotten that bad that I'm, I'm not getting out of bed. I can't cook. I can't clean. I can't stand for more than five minutes. I might be on social media and you might see me smiling and happy, you know, the pictures, but there's so much more behind it. And that's really why I want to come out and share the story because we don't know what's going on behind someone's feed, right? We don't know what's behind each square, their entire story. There's only the highlight that we see there. So 
after going back and forth, getting the misdiagnosis again, it felt like the hip all over again. It felt like just being let down. Your old experience coming yes. back onto you. Exactly. And the doctor's just telling me I can help you or I can't, or you might have to wait a long time. I told my doctor, I'm like, I'm over this. I want to go out of country because I've seen people go to places like Atlanta and New York. I want to look into all the options. And at the time I was part of a Facebook group. It's called Nancy Snook for anyone listening who does have endometriosis or suspects they do. It's a really great group that breaks down the entire condition, what you can do for treatment and treatment in the sense is excision surgery, which I'll talk about. There is no cure for endometriosis, but excision seems to be the gold standard of treatment for helping people get relief. I saw a post from a woman in there saying that this particular doctor in the UK helped her daughter and her daughter doesn't have painful periods, is able to live fully, has her quality of life back. And so I did a consultation. The price was actually reasonable compared to what I thought it would be. If anyone wants to know, because I'm very open about it, like I spent $23,000 Canadian for that surgery and it was a pretty complex surgery. So that was considered reasonable compared to other centers that might be like over 50,000 Canadian you'd be spending for something similar. So it wasn't just the cost I went for. I really uh, found this doctor to be knowledgeable and he had an entire team, which no one ever offered me in Canada. Nobody offered me a team. <laughs> it was just like, you see one specialist here and then you go downtown, you get another specialist, then you go to this place, you get they bounce around. They're all yeah. silent. They're not working together. Yeah. Not bringing their brain power as a team to think of it as a group versus like, well, I'm looking at it from this lens and I'm going to look at it from this lens. I don't exactly. see anything over here. I don't see anything over here. So having a team who's going to like do a full 360 view of you, your yes. body, your conditions, your history that makes a huge difference. It really did. It gave me so much confidence in flying across the country during the pandemic. I'm sorry, not the country, flying across the world, I should say, during the pandemic, um, because it's such a big step to take. Not only that, the cost was an issue for me because I was in considerable debt before the surgery because of the health issues. Like I was telling you all the therapies I was doing and the nutritionist, the trainer, these things cost a lot of money, right? One session is like a hundred dollars. You're doing that every week. And for somebody who's living with chronic pain, it's not like you can hold down a job. That's the thing. A lot of people said they were shocked that I was working as I was working seven jobs at that time to be able to afford the therapy. I know it sounds crazy because it's like you're working all these jobs, you're sick, and then you get more sick, but you need to work to pay. Wow. Okay. So you were doing lots of different things to bring yes. income to be able to, to afford all of this. Exactly. Stuff. So like research, I was freelancing, like doing my consulting business. I was hosting events. I was doing sales for another company. So everything was part-time, but <laughs> it took a lot of time and it, I was making great money. Like that's why a lot of people were shocked. They're like, why are you doing a GoFundMe when you claim that you make, you know, 10K a month? I'm like, I do. I was making 10K a month when I was working, but all of that went to my debt because I wasn't that much dead from the, all the therapies, right? Just trying to manage the pain and yeah. Exactly. And then I thought to myself, okay, I can take out a loan and do this. I can, of course, ask family and friends, which I did with the GoFundMe, but I can just go and take out a loan and have to repay this over the next few years. What my doctor tried to do, and this is why I applied to go, was we were trying to get it covered by OHIP. 
So for anyone who's not in Ontario, OHIP is our provincial healthcare system. And OHIP does cover out-of-country surgeries, but they didn't understand why I needed to go. They kept telling me, oh, there's availability here. You should just wait. You can have the surgery. It's not life-threatening. They didn't understand the severity of it from my point of view, all the infections and everything. So that's when my boyfriend kind of encouraged me to go ahead and post this GoFundMe. And he, he helped me kind of put it together because we were in London at the time when we put that up. So we were already there for the surgery saying, how are we going to pay for this if OHIP has now rejected us when we thought everything was going to go through? And I could just call my bank and take a loan, but that's just a lot to have to pay back. Mm -hmm. And there were so many people who had seen me go through this for years and years of people who had said, you know, you've supported me relentlessly by being there like as an entrepreneur and giving me support. Like I want to give back to you. It's hard to swallow your pride. It's hard to swallow your pride and put up and ask someone for money. That's the hardest thing because yeah. we're human. We don't want to, you know, reach out a hand and it's embarrassing. I felt so embarrassed, but I'll tell you, it was the best thing I did because that story going out there, it ended up going viral. It got picked up by CTV news, which then got picked up by Reddit. And then hundreds of people told me that they were able to take that to their doctor and get diagnosed. And then thousands more reached out to me saying, you know, I felt really supported and really heard when I read your story. Worth every penny. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And sharing your experience as painful as it is, even though you're out there, you're also a very private person. So you're like, I have this like my personality where I'm out there in the media talking, promoting, you know, advocating for myself and other women. But on the other side, I am an introvert, shy person, very private, my life, my health. You want to create a little bit of a bubble around yourself too. Exactly. Because I tried doing the thing where you go out and you try to share as much as you can, but then there are boundaries being crossed. There's a lot of judgment going on. So it's about finding that healthy balance between I can share little tidbits of my life. But there are also some things that I just want to keep for me. And it's really beautiful when you can do that, because I remember traveling last year, even while I was sick, and I didn't post online. And that was one of the best feelings, just being able to keep some of those memories for yourself. Okay, so you're in London, you put the GoFundMe up, you get tons of support and backing by your community and your network which is just wonderful. You're able to have the surgery. Yes. Let's talk about recovery. Because I always ask my guests this question of, okay, and now what? You know, the story isn't over here. There's so, there's, there's another round coming. So what happened next after that surgery? Yeah, well, I felt really lucky looking back on, you know, going back to the near-death experience. I felt lucky that I had even made it this far in London. It was an opportunity for me really to now get to live this life where I'm not in bed every day. I'm not constantly tied to my heating pad or going in and out of the ER. So recovery was tougher than (laughs) I expected, of course, because I also have to fly back home. So there were a lot of tears in the beginning, but there was also a huge sense of relief. Like of knowing that I'm not what the doctors kept telling me, no, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. And I kept fighting back saying, I know my body, I know something's wrong. And going to London and hearing I have stage four endometriosis, like very severe, it's called deep infiltrating. So now it's like gone into the organs. It's severe, right? Um, And that being said, the stage of endometriosis you have doesn't correlate to your pain level. Like someone could be stage one and have a lot of pain, but just knowing that it had grown so extensively 
Mm-hmm. And having that relief. And I got to see the video too. So the surgeon gave us the video. Seeing the inside of your body and saying, how were you functioning all these years? Yeah, it was such an experience going through that. So the recovery was tough, but being the person that I am, I don't sit still. Yeah. <laughs> we like to go. You're still on healing. Oh my, you were probably like, that's the hard part about being a good so patient hard. is actually not moving, right? It was so hard. So of course, now the story is going viral. This was November, the month after the surgery. It's gone viral. I'm getting so many requests every day from reporters and people are seeing my story on Instagram and TikTok and all these places. Like I had posted TikTok videos like months before, but now they were starting to pick up, right? because people are searching my name. I ended up doing a couple more interviews and I started thinking to myself, okay, tons of people are reaching out to me. They want to do the same, but they don't have the funds to be able to go. How do I give back in a similar way that people gave to me? Like, how do I kind of pass this forward now? And that's when I decided to start a fund called the OOC, Out of Country Excision Surgery Fund, which is helping people around the world leave whatever country they're in and seek care abroad because they're not getting the answers and the care that they need. So I've been running that for a little over a year. It's going a lot slower than I had hoped because there's a lot of barriers around understanding what endometriosis is, you know, understanding who's getting the funds. So we had uh, 65 people apply from so many countries across the world. It it was, I I was shocked when I went through all the applications and reading stories that were almost identical to mine, some of them even worse. My heart was just breaking and I said, I need to somehow raise these funds. So we're only at $3,200, which would probably fund just a portion of one surgery, but I plan on keeping this going for a long time. Even after I close the fund, I still plan on doing this awareness and maybe turning it into something a little bit larger because it really does need the awareness. So that's been my focus for the past little while is is getting the awareness out there, raising the funds and just helping other people around the world who are going through this, but don't have the support, don't have the resources and they don't know where to go. You're being the guide that you probably wished you had. Yes, exactly. And it, it makes me sad because sometimes it's hard to get back to every person when like when you're trying to heal, but you have a thousand messages in your inbox and you're also trying to, you know, have those boundaries. It's really hard. So one thing I've been prioritizing lately is filming video, like longer video content, because I did one YouTube video that people said really helped them. So I want to do more of that. Just answer a bulk of questions in that video. And if I had that, it would have been helpful. If I had someone show me like, how do you go out of country and how do you do all these things? It would have been really helpful at that time for sure. Just like this podcast, you know, we're recording this, you're sharing your story. People are purposely taking notes of like, you know, what was that group? Now they can go and take this information and at least start figuring out their own now what. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Christina, I am just in awe of you, of your tenacity and your courage and your strength and your ability to push forward, even in obviously very painful times and I just want to honor you for the work that you're doing like there's nothing better than you know paying forward to other people and in gratitude of you know the care or the support that you've had now you can turn turn around and pay it forward to other people so for anybody out there listening who either thinks that they have endometriosis knows that they have endometriosis or is maybe getting some roadblocks like, you know, you did over the course of your years, 
What are just like a few things that you want to package up and share with them as like a starting point to get them on their journey of advocating for themselves and their health? Yeah, I love talking about this because it's just a few actionable things that could really change your quality of life and your quality of care. One of the biggest things that I think people overlook is family doctor. So having a good family doctor, someone who's in your corner supporting you. I was not afraid to switch my family doctor. I switched twice during that experience because I was not getting any of the help that I needed. And after switching my current doctor, she is so persistent in helping me find the answers and really figuring out everything that's been going on. Like right now she's helping me figure out some iron issues that I've been having. Whereas my other doctor never helped with that. And I started having those issues since the age of 12 when the pain started. So I could have avoided many years of going through like the lethargic feeling of that, but I didn't switch. So Good family doctor, for sure. Finding a specialist who really understands the condition. So not a regular gynecologist. You need specifically an endometriosis specialist. That could be found through the group Nancy Snook that I mentioned because they have a list of worldwide surgeons. That's on Facebook. Yes, they have a really good group. Really advocating for yourself, which I know is easier said than done, but keep pushing for answers. Don't take no for an answer. You know, if they say, oh, well, we don't think that's a good idea. You can say, well, I've done my research and I really would like to investigate this. If you don't feel comfortable doing this surgery or providing this therapy, could you please refer me to someone who can? This is the moment where second opinion, like nail this in, like don't take the first word from the first doctor that you see go and get more perspectives and opinions from other people. Exactly. And and really understand how your diet impacts everything. And I don't just mean your diet, your food you're eating. I mean, your mental diet, because I know I was surrounding myself, like I said, with a very toxic relationship in the beginning of this, with friends who weren't necessarily supportive. I just wasn't in the right environment. So I started following a lot of Louise Hay, her work. And reframing how I spoke to myself, how I treated myself. So understanding, of course, what you feed yourself is important and adopting a clean diet and moving daily is very important. But also think about what you're showing yourself and what you're looking at and and listening to consuming every single day. Of course, listening to this podcast is great. (laughs) It's a great start to go listen to all the episodes. (laughs) But um, there's a lot more that, you know, you can do. And and so I've also had to scale back on, you know, what type of entertainment am I consuming? Is this negatively impacting me? Really thinking about those kinds of things. Really good advice, not just for anyone who's going through this specific health condition, for, but for any health condition, yes. right? If your body's telling you, you know, are you listening to it? All right. So what are you looking forward to now that you are pretty much, you know, on the other side, yes. I know you're always going to have health conditions because as you said, endometriosis is lifelong. You're always going to live with it. But for the most part, you're on the other side of this health crisis. Your pain, where are we at now? Like much lower? Much, much lower. I used to be in pain almost every day. And now maybe one day a month at most, sometimes not even. Like I just get flare ups if I, I eat something bad or I'm stressed out. But for the most part, I'm doing really, really well. And I have no regrets about any of that. Yeah. So what does life look like for Christina now that you're, you know, on the other side of this health crisis, your pain management is under control. You're having really good energy days. What are you excited about? Yeah, I'm excited to, like I said, extend this forward, keep sharing, creating awareness and helping other people who are currently where I was. 
I know all those feelings. I know what it's like. Aside from that, I recently started a new business with uh, my boyfriend. So now that I'm better, we were able to move in together, which was such a huge step for me, not having to rely on my family anymore to help me with my daily activities. And I rely on my boyfriend less too. So we're able to kind of share a space. Um, and we're also building a business together from our home, which has been really awesome. So we both got into real estate investing and that's really my big focus for this year. So continue advocating but also get my business off the ground and start building from there. Excellent. Amazing. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you um, and uh, excited to see what you do. You're one of those powerhouse ladies of influence who I know is going to be a huge success in whatever you put your mind to and, and decide to do doing it for yourself and your health and now applying it to other things is just going to be really cool to watch. Will you come back on the show and, and share another story? Cause I'm sure you have many, yes. <laughs> this is like the big one, but there's so much more to Christina than you and endometriosis. No, there's so much, there's, there's so, so much. much, right? So yeah. Well, uh, yeah, come back on the show. We'd love to hear another story from you. So if people want to find you, where can they do that? Where do you like to hang out? Yeah. The best place is, probably my Instagram. <laughs> so it's just my first dot last name. And I'm on there talking all things endometriosis, entrepreneurship, and a bit of my lifestyle, but mostly just trying to advocate and show what life can be like on the other side, as Jessica said. Mm, great. Thank you. Okay. So that is it for us today. I hope this episode was eye-opening for you as it was for me. I know I learned a ton today. So if you are going through a health crisis of some kind, it doesn't need to be endometriosis, it could be something else. And this was really helpful for you to start advocating or digging in or research or questioning or pushing back, you know, please, please, please be inspired by Christina's story to know like, this is not your life. This is not forever. You can get through this. You will get through this. And there is life on the other side of a health crisis. Or if you know somebody who's going through something and they are struggling for answers or where to start or what to do, please share this episode with them because it just might help them figure out their own. Now what? Christina, thank you so, so much for joining me. Uh, love you to bits, girl. I can't wait to talk to you again. We, I will see you on the gram and uh, keep smiling because your spirit and your energy is just beautiful and infectious. And I know you're going to do amazing things with that fund and help a lot of really, really grateful women um, get their health back. Well, that is so, so sweet. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to doing this again sometime. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Have a great day, everyone. And we will see you um, next week for another Now What Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.